Praise God. Just remain standing, if you don't mind, for just a moment. I want to say how how grateful I am for the privilege to be here tonight. I won't spend a lot of time with that. I love being back at this church. But I want you to understand, when I come here and minister, I minister under the delegated anointing that is here in your pastor. And Brother Butcher, I appreciate that liberty. I am under his ministry here, and I submit to that. And uh, I appreciate that opportunity and that honor. I am going to preach something tonight that some might consider controversial. I run the risk of offending some. So I ask you, and I do this sincerely, please do not leave until you have heard what I'm preaching about. Please do not leave, especially in the first 10 minutes of this message. Will you you give me 10 minutes? If you you think at that point I'm wrong scripturally, then uh, I guess all all, uh, charges are off there. But uh, I do promise you that I'll be faithful to the scripture. Uh, as I have always been in this pulpit. So uh, I ask for your cooperation, and I'm asking for your indulgence. As I make my case from the Bible, I tell my church, if I start preaching, and you realize I'm not preaching from the Bible anymore, it's time to leave. (laughs) Amen, we've got to be in the Word. But I I want to challenge you tonight and... uh, And I want you to just give me a chance to to make my case from the Word of God. Will you do that? Now, I I understand. Please, I do understand if there's a medical emergency and you're, uh, you know, have to take an insulin shot or something. Don't don't think I'm upset or anything. If you have a, a... a baby that is crying, I, I understand. But other than that, uh, if, you will, uh, if you will just kind of stay put until I've read my text, which is not immediately, then uh, I would appreciate it. Everybody, can we make that deal? Would, would you say amen? <clears throat> now I'll tell you my title. Jesus is not able. I don't, I don't want anything on the screen just yet, but I want to preach on this subject. Jesus is not, yes, I did say, Jesus is not able. Now you're wondering about that deal you just made. I understand that there may be some, perhaps many, who would disagree with me, but I submit that I can prove it scripturally that Jesus is not able. Many have prayed like he is able. Some have not said it, but you thought it in your heart, and it has affected your prayers. So with your indulgence and your commitment to hear me out, I will read my text. Are you ready? Hebrews 12, 22 
through 24. But you have come, we can put this on the screen, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Jesus is not Abel. Amen. You were worried there for a minute. I saw it. I was like... Can I still stay? Can I preach? Okay. I'm going to prove that Jesus is not able tonight. Amen? Would you pray for me right now? Would you pray that the Lord will open up our hearts and our spirits? Lord, in Jesus' name, God, I pray for the unction and the anointing of your spirit. I pray for every guest that is here tonight, Lord. We could open up our hearts together to hear the word of the Lord. Your word transforms. Your word saves. You can fill someone with the spirit of the Holy Ghost tonight, the, the Holy Spirit of God that you give out, Lord. You can fill people tonight. You can forgive sin. You can forgive, Lord, and you can make a new creature out of somebody tonight in this service. And I'm asking you to do it, Lord. I'm asking you to do it in Jesus' name. In Jesus. Turn to somebody next to you and tell them, Jesus is not able before you're seated. Amen. Now, let me, you may be seated. Uh, now, uh, let's, you understand the passage of Hebrews takes us all the way back to the story of Cain and Abel. As you know, Cain and Abel were the children of Adam and Eve. <laughs> wow. Uh, the children of Adam and Eve. I'm not talking about six, seven, eight, ten generations down the line. They were the two sons of Adam and Eve. Now you have to understand, people ask ridiculous questions about the Bible. They say, well, who did they marry? What happened? Do you realize that people back then lived over 900 years in Scripture? How many generations is that? Not hard to find. Maybe they got married in midlife, like 450 years old. I don't, I don't know. But uh, when you think about it in the history of Genesis... The scripture gives uh, chronological uh, markers through the Bible. And uh, do you realize when someone began dying of natural causes that there were so many generations 
still living. It wasn't like it is today where people reach 80, 90, 100 years old and they, no, no, no. When people live to be 900, uh, it's not your grandfather that's still around. It's a lot of people that are still around. Family reunions take months. But the story of Cain and Abel, as you know, Abel was murdered by his brother Cain. And the book of Genesis tells us that Abel's blood cried out to the Lord from the ground. Thousands of years later, Jesus hung on a Roman cross for the sin of the world, and his blood also cries out. And while Abel's blood cried out for justice, the blood that Jesus shed cries out, justice has been paid. It has been said there is a scarlet thread that runs through the pages of the entire Bible from cover to cover. We see this consistent Theme: The sacrifice of blood is necessary to deal with our sin and to bring the lost soul back to God. It may seem offensive to some people, but let me just say that sin is not pretty. When you look at the Bible in the story of Adam and Eve, and, and they were created, and if you go back to the story in the Garden of Eden, and when they partake of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and uh, no indication that it was an apple, it's shown as an apple in the drawings or the pictures, but uh, it was just fruit. And there was, isn't it amazing? The enemy tries to tell you everything you can't have. Now, i got to keep moving quickly, but uh, think about the Garden of Eden. The Lord says to Adam and Eve, uh, you can eat of any tree of the garden. I just want you to leave one tree alone. <laughs> Man, it's like telling the child, don't get into the cookie jar. And what does the devil do through the serpent when he comes to Eve? Are you saying, listen to me closely, because he still uses this line. Are you saying you can't do absolutely anything you want to? Are you saying you can't eat of any tree? Yes, he told us to leave this one tree alone. Isn't this a nice tree? Leave this one tree Alone. You mean you can't do anything you want? It's ridiculous. It's just, it's a trick of the devil to make you feel slighted when God says the whole world is yours, just leave this alone. How do you make that into feeling mistreated? You mean God is holding back on you? But that's what the devil still does. So, back to our story. Cain and Abel are born. And um, uh, let me back up to Adam and Eve again. Eve eats of the fruit. 
What does God do? The glory departs. Eve recognizes that she is naked. She's ashamed of it then because previously the glory of God covered them. But when they disobeyed, the glory vanishes. And they are naked, and, and, and so they try to sew fig leaves together. Somebody said that was the original Levi's, but um, I know it's bad. I'm sorry. I'll be gone next week. You won't have to put up with this. Uh, God says that's not good enough, and he kills an animal. I believe it's Genesis 3.21, and he covers them with skins showing there has to be death when sin is involved. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. There has to be death. So for their sin to be covered, he must kill an animal and cover them with the skin of that animal. That's what the Bible tells us. There was a, sin, there was a, a lamb for a, a man, basically. When you go down to the... Uh, Passover, when if you fast forward in the in the with the children of Israel and they are in Egypt, they've been in bondage for four hundred years, and Moses is about to lead them out, and God says, "Kill a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your house." And the death angel is coming by, and when the death angel sees the blood, your family will be safe and no one will die. If the death angel does not see the blood, the firstborn of your family will perish. They will die in the night. And if you read your Bible, that's what happened to every home that did not have the blood applied to the doorposts. So it started out with Adam and Eve, a lamb for a man. There it becomes a lamb for a family. Get your family inside and they'll be protected. On the Day of Atonement, when the law was given to Moses and the the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, into the tabernacle, the Bible said he was required to sacrifice a lamb for the nation of Israel. So it goes from a lamb for, for a man, a lamb for a family of Passover. On the Day of Atonement, a lamb for a nation. What does John the Baptist say when Jesus comes walking down the shoreline? He says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. (laughs) He's here. (laughs) That's why he came, to take away the sin of the world. Let's refresh our memory about Abel. The Bible says in Genesis 4, Adam knew his wife Eve. She conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again. She had another child this time, his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. In the process of time, I'm going to read you the story of the murder of Abel. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. The ground had been cursed, by the way. And also brought, uh, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. Firstborn, everybody say firstborn. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. 
And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. The original language is crouch. It crouches like an animal ready to make you its prey. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Now now we get into the category of stuff you didn't know was actually in the Bible. Things we normally say. And what was Cain's response? He said, I do not know where my brother is. Am I my brother's keeper? That's where it comes from. Watch what the Lord says. And he said, what have you done? The voice, listen, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Your brother's blood is talking to me. Abel, the second son of Adam and Eve, Let's get a little, let's unpack it just a little more. Abel's name means, do you know what it means? It means breath. It means that which is transitory. Abel's name is the same word that's used in Job 7.16. Job said, I loathe my life. I would not live forever, forever, let me alone, for my days are but a breath. What he said was, my days are but able. It's brevity, it's, it's just a breath. Abel was a herdsman who gave, as a sacrifice to the Lord, the firstborn of his flock. He gave a sheep, he gave an animal. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but rejected Cain's sacrifice. And this causes problems between the brothers. A sibling rivalry, if you will. And the text makes a distinction between Abel's offering of the first and Cain's offering of some. Do you know it's appropriate to give first fruits to the Lord? That's what tithing is. That's first fruits to the Lord. Amen? In offering the firstborn, Abel's act parallels the Israelite sacrifices in which the firstborn represents both that which belongs to God as well as the entire flock. So by giving the firstborn, he's giving the best that he has. It would be understood as giving God everything. I want you to understand, think about this with me, Abel's murder, Abel's death, is interpreted as similar to the murder of a prophet and to that of a martyr, if you will, because of its association with worship. He was worshiping God, and yet he was murdered. But the book of Hebrews tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ speaks better things than that of Abel. 
The blood of Jesus Christ speaks better in three ways. One, it speaks more clearly than any other word in the Scripture. The blood of Jesus speaks more clearly than any other word in Scripture. He didn't just say it, he did it. It was more than words. He gave his life for us. The blood of Jesus speaks more clearly. Number two, the blood of Jesus speaks more powerfully because it reaches every individual. I said the blood of Jesus speaks more powerfully because it reaches every individual. Point to yourself and say, that's for me. Number three, it speaks of a greater reality. Abel's blood cried out for justice. Jesus' blood cries out for mercy. Some people seem like they don't care about what Jesus did, as illustrated by some teenagers that thought they would be cute and pull a prank in a traditional liturgical church. We don't have confessional booths here. don't find in in a restoration apostolic atmosphere we don't find that practice in scripture but I, and i mean no offense uh by that but uh we obviously believe you are to pray to jesus directly according to scripture and so but this story involves a confession uh to an archbishop the bible scholar nt wright uh retells the following story about this archbishop who was hearing confessions of sin from three hardened teenagers in the church. All three boys were trying to make a joke out of it. So they met with the archbishop and they confessed a long list of ridiculous and grievous sins that they had not committed. It was all a joke. The archbishop saw through their bad practical joke, and he he played along with the first two who ran out of the church laughing. But then he listened carefully to the third prankster, and before he got away, he told the young man, okay, you've confessed these sins. Once again, ridiculous sins that he did not commit. He, he, He went on with a long list. Now, he said, I want you to do something to show your repentance. I want you to walk up to the far end of the church, and I want you to look at the picture of Jesus hanging on the cross, and I want you to look in his face and say, You did all that for me, and I don't care that much. And I want you to say it three times. And so the boy went up to the front. He looked at the picture of Jesus, and he said, You did all that for me, and I don't care that much. And then he said it again, but he couldn't say it the third time. Because he broke down in tears. You did all that for me. And I don't care that much. It's the blood of Jesus that cries out tonight. I am speaking something better than Abel did. The blood of Jesus cries out. I did this all for you. The archbishop telling the story said, the reason I know that story is that I was that young man. 
There's something about the cross. There's something about Jesus dying there for us, which jumps over all the theoretical discussions, all the possibilities of how we explain it away this way or that way, and it grasps us. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that makes the difference. And when you look at the text we read, when we compare Abel and Jesus, Hebrews 11.24 brings our attention to the violent death of an innocent person. There are similarities between Abel and Jesus. Think about it. Both were murdered although they were innocent. Both died prematurely and young. Both brought acceptable sacrifices. Both the blood of Abel and the blood of Jesus had a voice. They spoke. Both the blood of Abel and the blood of Jesus spoke beyond their death. In both the murder of Abel and the murder of Jesus, the blood was evidence. Now here's the difference. Here's the difference. The blood of Abel cried out to God, to avenge his murder. The shedding of Abel's blood was connected to the imposing of a curse. Everybody say a curse. But what about the blood of Jesus? The death of Jesus was also a violent, even more horrific event, despite his innocence. But Jesus, (coughs) Jesus' death, is associated with the securing of a blessing. Everybody say a blessing. That blessing is attached to the new covenant. The blessings of the new covenant. Abel's blood said, there's going to be somebody that pays for my death. But Jesus said, I'm going to pay for somebody else's sin with my death. Jesus qualified to be the mediator because of his substitutionary death on Calvary. There's a connection between his death as a covenant sacrifice and a covenant ratification. The blood of Jesus accomplishes what Abel's blood could never achieve. That's why it's more effective. That's why it's about redemption and reconciliation. The blood of Abel cried out for vengeance. The blood of Jesus cries out for mercy and for forgiveness. Abel's blood screamed justice and vengeance, but Jesus' blood screams forgive, 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 forgive. While Abel's blood cries out for vengeance, Jesus' blood cries for mercy. Abel's blood screamed condemnation. Jesus' blood screams, forgive them. They know not what they do. Abel's blood yells, debtor. Jesus' blood yells, ransom. Abel's blood shouts, mark him. Jesus' blood shouts, cover him. Abel's blood roars, catch him. Jesus' blood yells, release her. Jesus is the mediator 
of the new covenant. And as I draw to a close, there's four things it says. Jesus' blood says forgiveness. Do not punish the guilty. Forgiveness. That's what Jesus' blood screams out. Jesus' blood screams out justice. Death is the wages of sin. But don't punish the guilty. Punish me, the innocent. The Bible said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The Bible says everyone has sinned and comes short of the glory of God. That's right. So we all should die. But the Bible also says in Romans, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were all yet sinners, Christ died for us. Somebody say, Christ died for me. Christ died. Say it again. Christ died for me. Jesus' blood not only cries forgiveness or justice, he cries freedom. It's not just a ransom for the past, but a power for the future. I said it's power for the future. Jesus' blood still that covenant is still a part of my life. That covenant is still a part of my future. The blood that covered me at Calvary, the blood that covered me in baptism, the blood that he shed for me, that covenant. They said in those primitive areas, areas where the tribal warfare was brutal, that the travelers and the merchants would make blood covenants with the people of the area. And they would cut their arm and they would mingle their blood together. And they would, they would put it together so that they said, whoever comes and fights against you, they're going to have to fight against me. I said, whoever comes and fights against you, they're going to have to fight against me. And so they went to another, another, another tribe, and they, they found another blood brother, and they made a covenant, and they would cut their arm, and they would, they would have another injury on their arm, and they would mingle their blood, and they would say together, we're making a covenant. Whoever fights against you, they're going to have to fight against me. And the merchants and the travelers were known to have scars up and down their arm. Why? Because even though they were traveling alone, and when they held up their arms, you could see there was an army that they represented. Why? You're not coming against me. You're coming against everyone that I made a covenant with. Devil, when you try to bring me down, you're not coming against me. All I got to do is raise my hand and say, no, no, I'm in covenant with Jesus Christ, and his blood speaks some better things, and I'm in covenant with him. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me right now? I say it. Without apologizing tonight, Jesus is not able. Hebrews 11.4 says it was by faith that Abel brought a more 
acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. God showed his approval of his gifts. And although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. But let me say this tonight. At the beginning of my message, I stated, many have prayed like Jesus is able. Some have not said it, but you've thought it in your heart, and it has affected your prayers. Some have prayed like Jesus is able. Like he is looking for vengeance. Like he is looking for condemnation. Oh no. That's not Jesus. Some have prayed like he's out to get you. The enemy has told you that God is just out for justice. Satan has lied to you and made you think that Jesus was able. It's not true. Jesus wants to forgive you. Jesus wants to show mercy. Jesus wants to wash your sins away in baptism. Jesus wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus wants to do. There are three stages of responding to what Jesus did on the cross. First, you may believe that God is promising you forgiveness of sins. You may trust that promise. But unless you respond to that promise, you will not obtain his forgiveness. The first two stages, believing and trusting, unless you respond, they're no good. I, had, I went to the doctor because I had chest pain. They did an EKG and found out that I needed a stress test. They sent me to the stress test and they had me running on that treadmill trying to get my heart rate up until I thought I was going to just run right out of the building or something. Finally got my heart rate up and then they did an ultrasound on my heart. They told me. I was awake. They said, got some problems with the blood flow in the back. All right, we're going to have to do an angiogram. Went in for the angiogram. Shot that dye into my veins, and they looked at my arteries. And you're awake for that, anybody that's had one. You don't know much about what's going on, but you're awake. And they started wheeling me out of that operating room, and I said, where's my stents? I thought you were going to put stents in. Oh, no, they said. And they took me back to the video, and they showed me. They just waved their hands over a whole, whole section of my heart. They said, you have, you have 15 blockages. Oh, okay. What's the bad news? No. We're going to have to fix this with a heart bypass. So I went in weeks later, and I, I had four heart bypasses eight years ago. So I'm doing pretty good, aren't I? I'm just, I've slimmed down to 100 pounds. I'm just awesome. Yeah. Anyway, um, But they gave me this medicine. They said, take this medicine. What's the medicine for? It's to lower your cholesterol. Now I got a choice. 
I can say, I believe that medicine works. And it doesn't help me. I can say, I really trust the word of that doctor. I believe it works. I can even get the medicine from the pharmacy and put it on my shelf. But until I do this, it does me no good. The Bible said, he that comes to God must believe that he is. But that's not enough. I'm glad you believe there's a God. I, I think otherwise you probably wouldn't be here tonight. But that's not enough. You've got to believe that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. you got to believe he'll forgive your sin tonight. you got to believe that the blood of Calvary can w- take away your past and forgive you. you got to believe that the blood of Jesus can wash your sins away in the baptism. Amen? And when you respond to that, God will fill you with his spirit, with the evidence of speaking another tongue. How many of you has that ever happened to? How many of you have received forgiveness of sins? Look at the testimonies in this place. How many of you have been baptized in Jesus' name and had your sins washed away? I would say the blood is still working. How many of you received the gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues? I'm telling you, it still works today. Jesus is not able. He's not here to put you down. He's not here to tell you what a sinner you are. He's here to tell you, I died for you. I gave my life for you. I want to forgive your sin. I want to wash away your past. So this part's up to you. You can come and ask for forgiveness. You can come and apply the blood to your life if you'll just say, Lord, I'm sorry. Every head bowed, every eye closed right now. I want you to, I want you to respond. Jesus' blood still speaks right now. It's not like Abel's blood. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to open up my arms and say, I want to forgive your sins, but you've got to ask me. You've got to ask me. You've got to come to me. I want to open up this altar right now. I want everybody to come that can come. I want to invite you. If you have not asked the Lord to forgive you of your sins, you can do that tonight. And his blood can provide that. In Jesus' name, if you're here and you have something you need from God. God's blood is here. The Lord's blood is here to help you. What he shed on Calvary, it's still powerful today. Come on, saints, bring somebody with you. I want you to come and find a place to talk to Jesus Christ today. His blood is crying out right now, but it's crying out, I love you. It's crying out, I'm here for you. It's crying out, I'll give you a new life. I'll give you a new future. Hallelujah, all over this building while we begin to sing.